Section 7 of the $30,000 Bequest and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The $30,000 Bequest and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Section 7. The Curious Book, Part 2. In the region where scarcely the foot of man hath ever trod, where the woodman hath not found his way, lies a blooming grove, seen only by the sun when he mounts his lofty throne, visited only by the light of the stars, to whom are entrusted the guardianship of earth, before the sun sinks to rest in his rosy bed. High cliffs of rocks surround the romantic place, and in the small cavity of the rocky wall grows the daffodil clear and pure and as the wind blows along the enchanting little mountain which surrounds the lonely spot, it nourishes the flowers with the dewdrops of heaven. Here is the seat of Alfonso. Darkness claims but little victory over this domain, and in vain does she spread out her gloomy wings. Here the waters flow perpetually, and the trees lash their tops together to bid the welcome visitor a happy muse. Alfonso, during his short stay in the country, had fully persuaded himself that it was his duty to bring this solemn matter to an issue, a duty that he individually owed as a gentleman to the parents of Ambulinia, a duty in itself involving not only his own happiness and his own standing in society, but one that called aloud the act of the parties to make it perfect and complete. How he should communicate his intentions to get a favorable reply, he was at a loss to know. He knew not whether to address Esquire Valier in prose or in poetry, in a jocular or an argumentative manner, nor whether he should use moral suasion, legal injunction, or seizure and take by reprisal. If it was to do the latter, he would have no difficulty in deciding in his own mind, but his gentlemanly honor was at stake. So he concluded to address the following letter to the father and mother of Ambulinia, as his address in person he knew would only aggravate the old gentleman, and perhaps his lady. Coming, Georgia, January twenty-second, 1844. Mr. and Mrs. Valier. Again I resume the pleasing task of addressing you, and once more beg an immediate answer to my many salutations. From every circumstance that has taken place, I feel in duty bound to comply with my obligations, to forfeit my word would be more than I dare do, to break my pledge and my vows that have been witnessed, sealed, and delivered in the presence of an unseen deity, would be disgraceful on my part, as well as ruinous to Ambulinia. I wish no longer to be kept in suspense about this matter. I wish to act gentlemanly in every particular. It is true, the promises I have made are unknown to any but Ambulinia, and I think it unnecessary to here enumerate them, as they who promise the most generally perform the least. Can you for a moment doubt my sincerity or my character? My only wish is, sir, that you may calmly and dispassionately look at the situation of the case, and if your better judgment should dictate otherwise, my obligations may induce me to pluck the flower that you so diametrically opposed. We have soared by the saints, by the gods of battle, and by that faith whereby just men are made perfect, to be united. 
I hope, my dear sir, you will find it convenient as well as agreeable to give me a favorable answer, with the signature of Mrs. Valier as well as yourself. With very great esteem, your humble servant, J. I. Alfonso. The moon and stars had grown pale when Ambulinia had retired to rest. A crowd of unpleasant thoughts passed through her bosom. Solitude dwelt in her chamber. No sound from the neighboring world penetrated its stillness. It appeared a temple of silence, of repose, and of mystery. At that moment she heard a still voice calling her father. In an instant, like the flash of lightning, a thought ran through her mind that it must be the bearer of Alfonso's communication. "'It is not a dream,' she said. "'No, I cannot read dreams. Oh, I would to heaven I was near that glowing eloquence, that poetical language. It charms the mind in an inexpressible manner, and warms the coldest heart.' While consoling herself with this strain, her father rushed into her room almost frantic with rage, exclaiming, Oh, Ambulinia, Ambulinia, undutiful, ungrateful daughter, what does this mean? Why does this letter bear such heart-rending intelligence? Will you quit a father's house with this debased wretch, without a place to lay his distracted head, going up and down the country with every novel object that may chance to wander through this region? He is a pretty man to make love known to his superiors, and you, Ambulinia, have done but little credit to yourself by honoring his visits. Oh, wretchedness! Can it be that my hopes of happiness are forever blasted? Will you not listen to a father's entreaties and pay some regard to a mother's tears? I know, and I do pray, that God will give me fortitude to bear with this sea of troubles and rescue my daughter, my Ambulinia, as a brand from the eternal burning." Forgive me, father, oh, forgive thy child, replied Ambulinia. My heart is ready to break when I see you in this grieved state of agitation. Oh, think not so meanly of me, as that I mourn for my own danger. Father, I am only woman. Mother, I am only the templement of thy youthful years, but will suffer courageously whatever punishment you think proper to inflict upon me if you will but allow me to comply with my most sacred promises, if you will but give me my personal right and my personal liberty. Oh, Father, if your generosity will but give me these, I ask nothing more. When Alfonso offered me his heart, I gave him my hand, never to forsake him, and now may the mighty God banish me before I leave him in adversity. What a heart must I have to rejoice in prosperity with him whose offers I have accepted, and then when poverty comes, haggard as it may be, for me to trifle with the oracles of heaven, and change with every fluctuation that may interrupt our happiness, like the politician who runs the political gauntlet for office one day, and the next day, because the horizon is darkened a little, he is seen running for his life, for fear he might perish in its ruins. Where is the philosophy, where is the consistency, where is the charity in conduct like this? Be happy then, my beloved father, and forget me. Let the sorrow of parting break down the wall of separation, and make us equal in our feeling. Let me now say how ardently I love you. Let me kiss that age-worn cheek, and should my tears bedew thy face, I will wipe them away. Oh, I can never forget you, no, never, never!" 
Weep not, said the father, Ambulinia. I will forbid Alfonso my house, and desire that you may keep retired a few days. I will let him know that my friendship for my family is not linked together by cankered chains, and if he ever enters upon my premises again, I will send him to his long home. Oh, father, let me entreat you to be calm upon this occasion, and though Alfonso may be the sport of the clouds and winds, yet I feel assured that no fate will send him to the silent tomb until the God of the universe calls him hence with a triumphant voice. Here the father turned away, exclaiming, I will answer his letter in a very few words, and you, madame, will have the goodness to stay at home with your mother, and remember, I am determined to protect you from the consuming fire that looks so fair to your view. Coming January twenty-second, 1844 Sir, in regard to your request, I am, as I have ever been, utterly opposed to your marrying into my family, and if you have any regard for yourself, or any gentlemanly feeling, I hope you will mention it to me no more, but seek some other one who is not so far superior to you in standing. W. W. Valier when Alfonso read the above letter, he became so much depressed in spirits that many of his friends thought it advisable to use other means to bring about the happy union. Strange, said he, that the contents of this diminutive letter should cause me to have such depressed feelings. But there is a nobler theme than this. I know not why my military title is not as great as that of Squire Valier. For my life I cannot see that my ancestors are inferior to those who are so bitterly opposed to my marriage with Ambulinia. I know I have seen huge mountains before me, yet, when I think that I know gentlemen will insult me upon this delicate matter, should I become angry at fools and babblers, who pride themselves in their impudence and ignorance? No. My equals, I know not where to find them. My inferiors, I think it beneath me and my superiors. I think it presumption. Therefore, if this youthful heart is protected by any of the divine rights, I never will betray my trust. He was aware that Ambulinia had a confidence that was, indeed, as firm and as resolute as she was beautiful and interesting. He hastened to the cottage of Louisa, who received him in her usual mode of pleasantness, and informed him that Ambulinia had just that moment left. Is it possible? said Alfonso. Oh, murdered hours! Why did she not remain and be the guardian of my secrets? But hasten and tell me how she has stood this trying scene, and what are her future determinations. You know, said Louisa, Major Alfonso, that you have Ambulinia's first love, which is of no small consequence. She came here about twilight, and shed many precious tears in consequence of her own fate with yours. We walked silently in yon little valley, you see, where we spent a momentary repose. She seemed to be quite as determined as ever, and before we left that beautiful spot, she offered up a prayer to heaven for thee. I will see her then, replied Alfonso, though legions of enemies may oppose. She is mine by foreordination, she is mine by prophecy. She is mine by her own free will, and I will rescue her from the hands of her oppressors. Will you not, Miss Louisa, assist me in my capture? 
I will certainly, by the aid of divine providence, answered Louisa, endeavor to break those slavish chains that bind the richest of prizes, though allow me, Major, to entreat you to use no harsh means on this important occasion. Take a decided stand, and write freely to Ambulinia upon this subject, and I will see that no intervening cause hinders its passage to her. God alone will save a mourning people. Now is the day, and now is the hour, to obey a command of such valuable worth. The major felt himself grow stronger after this short interview with Louisa. He felt as if he could whip his weight in wildcats. He knew he was master of his own feelings, and could now write a letter that would bring this litigation to an issue. Coming, January 24, 1844. Dear Ambulinia, We have now reached the most trying moment of our lives. We are pledged not to forsake our trust. We have waited for a favorable hour to come, thinking your friends would settle the matter agreeably among themselves, and finally be reconciled to our marriage. But as I have waited in vain and looked in vain, I have determined in my own mind to make a proposition to you, though you may think it not in accord with your station, or compatible with your rank. Yet, sub loc signo vinces. You know I cannot resume my visits in consequence of the utter hostility that your father has to me. Therefore, the consummation of our union will have to be sought for in a more sublime sphere, at the residence of a respectable friend of this village. You cannot have any scruples upon this mode of proceeding, if you will but remember it emanates from one who loves you better than his own life, who is more than anxious to bid you welcome to a new and happy home. Your warmest associates say come. The talented, the learned, the wise, and the experienced say come. All these with their friends say come. Viewing these with many other inducements, I flatter myself that you will come to the embraces of your Alfonso, for now is the time of your acceptance of the day of your liberation. You cannot be ignorant, Ambulinia, that thou art the desire of my heart. Its thoughts are too noble and too pure to conceal themselves from you. I shall wait for your answer to this impatiently, expecting that you will set the time to make your departure, and to be in readiness at a moment's warning to share the joys of a more preferable life. This will be handed to you by Louisa, who will take a pleasure in communicating anything to you that may relieve your dejected spirits, and will assure you that I now stand ready, willing, and waiting to make good my vows. I am, dear Ambulinia, your, truly and forever, J. I. Alfonso. Louisa made it convenient to visit Mr. Valier's, though they did not suspect her in the least the bearer of love epistles. Consequently, she was invited in the room to console Ambulinia, where they were left alone. Ambulinia was seated by a small table, her head resting on her hand, her brilliant eyes were bathed in tears. Louisa handed her the letter of Alfonso when another spirit animated her features, the spirit of renewed confidence that never fails to strengthen the female character in an hour of grief and sorrow like this. And as she pronounced the last accent of his name, she exclaimed, "'And does he love me yet? I never will forget your generosity, Louisa. Oh, unhappy and yet blessed Louisa! May you never feel what I have felt!' May you never know the pangs of love. Had I never loved, 
I never would have been unhappy. But I turn to him who can save, and if his wisdom does not will my expected union, I know he will give me strength to bear my lot. Amuse yourself with this little book, and take it as an apology for my silence, said Ambulinia, while I attempt to answer this volume of consolation. Thank you, said Louisa, you are excusable upon this occasion, but I pray you, Ambulinia, to be expert upon this momentous subject, that there may be nothing mistrustful upon my part. I will, said Ambulinia, and immediately resumed her seat and addressed the following to Alfonso. Coming, Georgia, January 28, 1844. Devoted Alfonso, I hail your letter as a welcome messenger of faith, and can now say truly and firmly that my feelings correspond with yours. Nothing shall be wanting on my part to make my obedience your fidelity. Courage and perseverance will accomplish success. Receive this as my oath, that while I grasp your hand in my own imagination, we stand united before a higher tribunal than any on earth. All the powers of my life, soul, and body I devote to thee. Whatever dangers may threaten me, I fear not to encounter them. Perhaps I have determined upon my own destruction by leaving the house of the best of parents. Be it so. I flee to you. I share your destiny, faithful to the end. The day that I have concluded upon for this task is Sabbath next, when the family with the citizens are generally at church. For heaven's sake, let not that day pass unimproved. Trust not till tomorrow, it is the cheat of life, the future that never comes, the grave of many noble births, the cavern of ruined enterprise, which like the lightning's flash is born and dies and perishes, ere the voice of him who sees can cry, Behold, behold! You may trust to what I say, no power shall tempt me to betray confidence. Suffer me to add one word more. I will soothe thee in all thy grief, beside the gloomy river, and though thy love may yet be brief, mine is fixed forever. Receive the deepest emotions of my heart for thy constant love, and may the power of inspiration be thy guide, thy portion, and thy all. In great haste, yours faithfully, Ambulinia. I now take my leave of you, sweet girl, said Louisa, sincerely wishing you success on Sabbath next. When Ambulinia's letter was handed to Alfonso, he perused it without doubting its contents. Louisa charged him to make but few confidants. But, like most young men who happened to win the heart of a beautiful girl, he was so elated with the idea that he felt as a commanding general on parade, who had confidence in all, consequently gave orders to all. The appointed Sabbath, with a delicious breeze and cloudless sky, made its appearance. The people gathered in crowds to the church. The streets were filled with neighboring citizens, all marching to the house of worship. It is entirely useless for me to attempt to describe the feelings of Alfonso and Ambulinia, who were silently watching the movements of the multitude, apparently counting them as they entered the house of God, looking for the last one to darken the door. The impatience and anxiety with which they waited, and the bliss they anticipated on the eventful day, is altogether indescribable. Those who have been so fortunate as to embark in such a noble enterprise 
know all its realities, and those who have not had this inestimable privilege will have to taste its sweets before they can tell others its joys, its comforts, and its heaven-born worth. Immediately after Ambulinia had assisted the family off to church, she took advantage of that opportunity to make good her promises. She left a home of enjoyment to be wedded to one whose love had been justifiable. A few short steps brought her to the presence of Louisa, who urged her to make good use of her time, and not to delay a moment, but to go with her to her brother's house, where Alfonso would forever make her happy. With lively speed and yet a graceful air, she entered the door and found herself protected by the champion of her confidence. The necessary arrangements were fast making to have the two lovers united. Everything was in readiness except the parson, and as they are generally very sanctimonious on such occasions, the news got to the parents of Ambulinia before the everlasting knot was tied, and they both came running, with uplifted hands and injured feelings, to arrest their daughter from an unguarded and hasty resolution. Alfonso desired to maintain his ground, but Ambulinia thought it best for him to leave, to prepare for a greater contest. He accordingly obeyed, as it would have been a vain endeavor for him to have battled against a man who was armed with deadly weapons, and besides, he could not resist the request of such a pure heart. Ambulinia concealed herself in the upper story of the house, fearing the rebuke of her father. The door was locked, and no chastisement was now expected. Esquire Valier, whose pride was already touched, resolved to preserve the dignity of his family. He entered the house almost exhausted, looking wildly for Ambulinia. "'Amazed and astonished indeed I am,' said he, "'at a people who call themselves civilized to allow such behavior as this. "'Ambulinia, Ambulinia!' he cried. "'Come to the calls of your first, your best, and your only friend. "'I appeal to you, sir,' turning to the gentleman of the house, "'to know where Ambulinia has gone, or where is she?' "'Do you mean to insult me, sir, in my own house?' inquired the gentleman. "'I will burst,' said Mr. Valier, "'asunder every door in your dwelling in search of my daughter, "'if you do not speak quickly and tell me where she is. "'I care nothing about that outcast rubbish of creation, "'that mean, low-lived Alfonso, if I can but obtain Ambulinia. "'Are you not going to open this door?' said he. "'By the Eternal that made heaven and earth, I will go about the work instantly if this is not done. The confused citizens gathered from all parts of the village to know the cause of this commotion. Some rushed into the house. The door that was locked flew open, and there stood Ambulinia weeping. Father, be still, said she, and I will follow thee home. But the agitated man seized her and bore her off through the gazing multitude. Father, she exclaimed, I humbly beg your pardon, I will be dutiful, I will obey thy commands. Let the sixteen years I have lived in obedience to thee be my future security. I don't like to be always giving credit when the old score is not paid up, madame, said the father. The mother followed almost in a state of derangement, crying and imploring her to think beforehand and ask advice from experienced persons, and they would tell her it was a rash undertaking. Oh, said she, Ambulinia, my daughter, did you know what I have suffered? 
Did you know how many nights I have whiled away in agony, in pain and in fear, you would pity the sorrows of a heart-broken mother. Well, mother, replied Ambulinia, I know I have been disobedient. I am aware that what I have done might have been done much better. But, oh, what shall I do with my honor? It is so dear to me. I am pledged to Alfonso. His high moral worth is certainly worth some attention. Moreover, my vows, I have no doubt, are recorded in the book of life. And must I give these all up? Must my fair hopes be forever blasted? Forbid it, father. Oh, forbid it, mother. Forbid it, heaven. I have seen so many beautiful skies overclouded, replied the mother, so many blossoms nipped by the frost, that I am afraid to trust you to the care of those fair days which may be interrupted by thundering and tempestuous nights. You no doubt think as I did. Life's devious ways were strewn with sweet-scented flowers, but, ah, how long they have lingered around me, and took their flight in the vivid hope that laughs at the drooping victims it has murdered. Alfonso was moved at this sight. The people followed on to see what was going to become of Ambulinia, while he, with downcast looks, kept at a distance, until he saw them enter the abode of the father, thrusting her, that was the sigh of his soul, out of his presence into a solitary apartment, when she exclaimed, Alfonso, Alfonso, O oh, Alfonso, where art thou with all thy heroes? Haste, O oh, haste, come thou to my relief. Ride on the wings of the wind, turn thy force loose like a tempest, and roll on thy army like a whirlwind over this mountain of trouble and confusion. O oh, friends, if any pity me, let your last efforts throng upon the green hills and come to the relief of Ambulinia who is guilty of nothing but innocent love. Alfonso called out with a loud voice, My God, can I stand this? Arise up, I beseech you, and put an end to this tyranny. Come, my brave boys, said he. Are you ready to go forth to your duty? They stood around him. Who, said he, will call us to arms? Where are my thunderbolts of war? Speak ye, the first who will meet the foe who will go forward with me in this ocean of grievous temptation. If there is one who desires to go, let him come and shake hands upon the altar of devotion, and swear that he will be a hero, yes, a Hector in a cause like this, which calls aloud for a speedy remedy. Mine be the deed, said a young lawyer, and mine alone. Venus alone shall quit her station, before I will forsake one jot or tittle of my promise to you. What is death to me? What is all this warlike army, if it is not to win a victory? I love the sleep of the lover and the mighty, nor would I give it over till the blood of my enemies should reek with that of my own. But God forbid that our fame should soar on the blood of the slumberer. Mr. Valier stands at his door with the frown of a demon upon his brow, with his dangerous weapon ready to strike the first man who should enter his door. Who will arise and go forward through blood and carnage to the rescue of my Ambulinia? said Alfonso. All! exclaimed the multitude, and onward they went with their implements of battle. Others, of a more timid nature, stood among the distant hills to see the results of the contest. Alfonso took the lead of his band. Night arose in clouds, darkness concealed the heavens. 
but the blazing hopes that stimulated them gleamed in every bosom. All approached the anxious spot. They rushed to the front of the house, and, with one exclamation, demanded Ambulinia. Away, be gone, and disturb my peace no more, said Mr. Valier. You are a set of base, insolent, and infernal rascals. Go, the northern star points your path through the dim twilight of the night. Go, and vent your spite upon the lonely hills. Pour forth your love, you poor, weak-minded wretch, upon your idleness and upon your guitar and your fiddle. They are fit subjects for your admiration. For let me assure you, though this sword and iron lever are cankered, yet they frown in sleep, and let one of you dare to enter my house this night, and you shall have the contents and the weight of these instruments. Never yet did base dishonor blur my name, said Alfonso. Mine is a cause of renown. Here are my warriors. Fear and tremble, for this night, though hell itself should oppose, I will endeavor to avenge her whom thou hast banished in solitude. The voice of Ambulinia shall be heard from that dark dungeon. At that moment Ambulinia appeared at the window above, and with a tremulous voice said, Live, Alfonso, oh, live to raise my stone of moss. Why should such language enter your heart? Why should thy voice rend the air with such agitation? I bid thee live, once more remembering these tears of mine are shed alone for thee in this dark and gloomy vault, and should I perish under this load of trouble, join the song of thrilling accents with the raven above my grave, and lay this tattered frame beside the banks of the Chattahoochee, or the stream of Sawney's brook. Sweet will be the song of death to your Ambulinia. My ghost shall visit you in the smiles of paradise, and tell your high fame to the minds of that region, which is far more preferable than this lonely cell. My heart shall speak for thee till the latest hour. I know faint and broken are the sounds of sorrow, yet our souls, Alfonso, shall hear the peaceful songs together. One bright name shall be ours on high, if we are not permitted to be united here. Bear in mind that I shall cherish my old sentiments, and the poet will mingle the names of Alfonso and Ambulinia in the tide of other days. Fly, Alfonso, said the voices of his united band, to the wounded heart of your beloved. All enemies shall fall beneath thy sword. Fly through the clefts, and the dim spark shall sleep in death. Alfonso rushes forward and strikes his shield against the door, which was barricaded, to prevent any intercourse. His brave sons throng around him, the people pour along the streets, both male and female, to prevent or witness the melancholy scene. To arms, to arms, cried Alfonso, here is a victory to be won, a prize to be gained that is more to me than the whole world beside. It cannot be done to-night, said Mr. Valier, I bear the clang of death, my strength and armor shall prevail. My Ambulinia shall rest in this hall until the break of another day, and if we fall, we fall together. If we die, we die clinging to our tattered rights, and our blood alone shall tell the mournful tale of a murdered daughter and a ruined father. Sure enough, he kept watch all night, and was successful in defending his house and family. The bright morning gleamed upon the hills, night vanished away, the major and his associates felt somewhat ashamed that they had not been as fortunate as they expected to have been. 
However, they still leaned upon their arms in dispersed groups. Some were walking the streets, others were talking in the major's behalf. Many of the citizens suspended business, as the town presented nothing but consternation. A novelty that might end in the destruction of some worthy and respectable citizens. Mr. Valier ventured in the streets, though not without being well armed. Some of his friends congratulated him on the decided stand he had taken, and hoped he would settle the matter amicably with Alfonso, without any serious injury. Me, he replied, what, me, condescend to fellowship with a coward and a low-lived, lazy, undermining villain? No, gentlemen, this cannot be. I had rather be borne off, like the bubble upon the dark blue ocean, with Ambulinia by my side, than to have him in the ascending or descending line of relationship. Gentlemen, continued he, if Alfonso is so much of a distinguished character, and is so learned in the fine arts, why do you not patronize such men? Why not introduce him into your families, as a gentleman of taste and unequaled magnanimity? Why are you so very anxious that he should become a relative of mine? Oh, gentlemen, I fear you yet are tainted with the curiosity of our first parents, who were beguiled by the poisonous kiss of an old ugly serpent, and who, for one apple, damned all mankind. I wish to divest myself, as far as possible, of that untutored custom. I have long since learned that the perfection of wisdom, and the end of true philosophy, is to proportion our wants to our possessions, our ambitions to our capacities. We will then be a happy and a virtuous people. Ambulinia was sent off to prepare for a long and tedious journey. Her new acquaintances had been instructed by her father how to treat her, and in what manner, and to keep the anticipated visit entirely secret. Alfonso was watching the movements of everybody. Some friends had told him of the plot that was laid to carry off Ambulinia. At night, he rallied some two or three of his forces, and went silently along to the stately mansion. A faint and glimmering light showed through the windows. Lightly he steps to the door. There were many voices rallying fresh in Fancy's eye. He tapped the shutter. It was opened instantly, and he beheld once more, seated beside several ladies, the hope of all his toils. He rushed toward her, she rose from her seat, rejoicing. He made one mighty grasp, when Ambulinia exclaimed, Huzzah for Major Alfonso! I will defend myself and you, too, with this conquering instrument I hold in my hand. Huzzah, I say, I now invoke time's broad wing to shed around us some dewdrops of verdant spring. But the hour had not come for this joyous reunion. Her friend struggled with Alfonso for some time, and finally succeeded in arresting her from his hands. He dared not injure them, because they were matrons whose courage needed no spur. She was snatched from the arms of Alfonso, with so much eagerness, and yet with such expressive signification, that he calmly withdrew from this lovely enterprise, with an ardent hope that he should be lulled to repose by the zephyrs which whispered peace to his soul. Several long days and nights passed unmolested, all seemed to have grounded their arms of rebellion, and no calidity appeared to be going on with any of the parties. Other arrangements were made by Ambulinia. She feigned herself to be entirely the votary of a mother's care, and she, by her graceful smiles, 
that manhood might claim his stern dominion in some other region, where such boisterous love was not so prevalent. This gave the parents a confidence that yielded some hours of sober joy. They believed that Ambulinia would now cease to love Alfonso, and that her stolen affections would now expire with her misguided opinions. They therefore declined the idea of sending her to a distant land. But, oh, they dreamed not of the rapture that dazzled the fancy of Ambulinia, who would say, when alone, youth should not fly away on his rosy pinions, and leave her to grapple in the conflict with unknown admirers. No frowning age shall control the constant current of my soul, nor a tear from pity's eye shall check my sympathetic sigh. With this resolution fixed in her mind, one dark and dreary night, when the winds whistled and the tempest roared, she received intelligence that Alfonso was then waiting, and every preparation was then ready, at the residence of Dr. Tully, and for her to make a quick escape while the family was reposing. Accordingly, she gathered her books, went the wardrobe supplied with a variety of ornamental dressing, and ventured alone in the streets to make her way to Alfonso, who was near at hand, impatiently looking and watching her arrival. "'What forms,' said she, "'are those rising before me? What is that dark spot in the clouds? I do wonder what frightful ghost that is, gleaming on the red tempest. Oh, be merciful, and tell me what region you are from. Oh, tell me, ye strong spirits, or ye dark and fleeting clouds, that I yet have a friend.' "'A friend,' said a low, whispering voice, I am thy unchanging, thy aged, and thy disappointed mother. Why brandish in that hand of thine a javelin of pointed steel? Why suffer that lip I have kissed a thousand times to equivocate? My daughter, let these tears sink deep into thy soul, and no longer persist in that which may be your destruction and ruin. Come, my dear child, retract your steps, and bear me company to your welcome home." Without one retorting word or frown from her brow, she yielded to the entreaties of her mother, and with all the mildness of her former character, she went along with the silver lamp of age to the home of candor and benevolence. Her father received her cold and formal politeness. "'Where has Ambulinia been this blustering evening, Mrs. Valier?' inquired he. "'Oh, she and I have been taking a solitary walk,' said the mother." All things, I presume, are now working for the best. Alfonso heard this news shortly after it happened. What, said he, has heaven and earth turned against me? I have been disappointed times without number. Shall I despair? Must I give it over? Heaven's decrees will not fade. I will write again, I will try again, and if it traverses a gory field, I pray forgiveness at the altar of justice. Desolate Hill, Cumming, Georgia, 1844. Unconquered and beloved Ambulinia, I have only time to say to you not to despair. Thy fame shall not perish. My visions are brightening before me. The whirlwind's rage is past, and now we shall subdue our enemies without doubt. On Monday morning, when your friends are at breakfast, they will not suspect your departure, or even mistrust me being in town, as it has been reported advantageously that I have left for the West. You walk carelessly toward the Academy Grove, where you will find me with a lightning steed, 
elegantly equipped to bear you off where we shall be joined in wedlock with the first connubial rites. Fail not to do this. Think not of the tedious relations of our wrongs. Be invincible. You alone occupy all my ambition, and I alone will make you my happy spouse with the same unimpeached veracity. I remain forever your devoted friend and admirer, J. L. Alfonso. The appointed day ushered in undisturbed by any clouds. Nothing disturbed Ambulinia's soft beauty. With serenity and loveliness, she obeys the request of Alfonso. The moment the family seated themselves at the table, Excuse my absence for a short time, said she, while I attend to the placing of those flowers which should have been done a week ago. And away she ran to the sacred grove, surrounded with glittering pearls that indicated her coming. Alfonso hails her with his silver bow and his golden harp. They meet. Ambulinia's countenance brightens. Alfonso leads up his winged steed. Mount, said he, ye true-hearted, ye fearless soul, the day is ours. She sprang upon the back of the young thunderbolt. A brilliant star sparkles upon her head. With one hand she grasps the reins, and with the other she holds an olive branch. Lend thy aid, ye strong winds, they exclaimed. Ye moon, ye sun, and all ye fair host of heaven, witness the enemy conquered. Hold, said Alfonso, thy dashing steed. Ride on, said Ambulinia, the voice of thunder is behind us. And onward they went, with such rapidity that they very soon arrived at rural retreat, where they dismounted, and were united with all the solemnities that usually attend such divine operations. They passed the day in thanksgiving and great rejoicing, and on that evening they visited their uncle, where many of their friends and acquaintances had gathered to congratulate them in the field of untainted bliss. The kind old gentleman met them in the yard. Well, said he, I wish I may die, Alfonso, if you and Ambulinia haven't tied a knot with your tongue that you can't untie with your teeth. But come in, come in, never mind, it is all right. The world still moves on, and no one has fallen in this great battle. Happy now is their lot. Unmoved by misfortune, they live among the fair beauties of the South. Heaven spreads their peace and fame upon the arch of the rainbow, and smiles propitiously at their triumph through the tears of the storm. End of The Curious Book Part 2 Recording by Tricia G.